0: Alright. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, real quick. Well, yeah. Thanks, Matt. Uh, so, so let me tell you, can I tell you a life experience I had when I was a young man? Uh, when I was 18, year old, 18 years old, yeah, I was 18. Uh, I was a freshman in college at a school, small school in Arkansas, uh, called the University of Central Arkansas. And, uh, I, I had commuted my first semester, uh, and so I, Decided to move on campus uh, my second semester of my freshman year, and so once I moved in, it was like everybody else in the dorm. They already kind of had their their friendship groups kind of picked out. They had who their their friends were, and for me, uh, I was kind of like the, the new guy, and I, I remember just kind of feeling really really alone, and so I had gone to uh, the the uh, wherever you call it, what do you call it the cafeteria. The place where you eat. The place where you eat, okay? The kitchen at my house, okay? But I'd gone to the cafeteria uh, to eat, and I remember walking in, and there were all these people sitting at all these different tables. And everybody already had a place. And they already had people that they were around. And I remember walking in and kind of looking for a place to sit down and just feeling utterly alone. Have you ever had that experience? Okay, so I'm seeing a few heads nod. All of you have had that experience before. And and so what happened that day is I sat down at this table, and there were a group of guys on in in my hall, at in my dorm, and uh, they were kind of an interesting group of guys, kind of an interesting group of guys. And one of our guys was a bodybuilder, and uh, he was a boxer, and he was, believe it or not, he was from New York, and he his name was Rocky, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Rocky, all right, and, uh, and, he, he was, he, and he had that kind of northeastern kind of uh, chip on your, your shoulder kind of a, a, a guy. But let me tell you, everybody just kind of flocked around Rocky. That's what they did. And so Rocky gets his food, and he's looking for a table to sit down, and all the other guys are following. It's like a group of little boys following their, I don't know, their hero around. And he's, he's walking and, and he looks, and he sees me, and he sees me sitting there by myself. And he came over, and he sat down his tray opposite from me. And all of a sudden, I had a group of guys all around us. And, uh, and, you know, folks, Rocky wasn't really much of a Christian. But what he did in that moment was very, very Christ-like. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus is extremely inclusive. Jesus hung out with the tax collectors. He hung out with the sinners. Uh, and he didn't look down on people because of where they came from. But he was inclusive. He was very, very inclusive. And one of the things that we want to be as a church, and one of the reasons it's so important for us to do things like saying, hey, I'm really glad you're here today. And one of the reasons why we ask you to, to go out of your way to greet someone that perhaps you haven't met before so I think sometimes we're so comfortable with people that we connect with every week. If we're not careful, a person they can feel a little bit like I did in that in that cafeteria that day. And what we want to do is we want to turn that in, we want to turn this into a fantastic experience for that person. So that's just something I, I really believe that God wants us to do. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about in church this morning. Uh, but it was just something I was kind of thinking about. Uh, as we were all greeting each other, and I wanted to share that story. Uh, we've been doing a series on—we've uh, been calling it the Path to a Revitalized Faith, and it's based upon First uh, Corinthians, and we're looking at chapters one through eight. And uh, we're going to do another series after that on nine through sixteen. That's also called—it's uh, also called uh, the Path to a Revitalized Faith. Okay. So basically, what we're doing is we're looking at the Book of First Corinthians, and uh, I'm going to want i want to encourage you to open up. To 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at this a little bit more in a few minutes. Uh, let me tell you why. If And I think I shared this last week. I shared with you guys that if I were starting our church all over again, uh, I would the first three series I would do in our church is the first series I would do would be on the book of Genesis. That would be the first series I would do. I just think Genesis lays a foundation for understanding the rest of the Bible. I just... I think that that it's very, very interesting. The better you understand the Old Testament, the better you'll understand the New Testament. By the way, the better you understand the New Testament, the better you'll understand the Old Testament. But if I were starting your church again, first series I would do would be on the book of Genesis. The second series that I would do would be on the book of Romans. And, and the reason I would do that is because, well, I did a series on that and I want I'm going to get way off track if I try to develop this. But just that would be the second series I would do. But the third series that I would do with our church, if we were starting our church from scratch, would be on 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. And the reason that I would do 1 Corinthians is because I believe the church in North America, in many respects, is very much like the church in Corinth. I believe a lot of the problems that the church in Corinth had are problems that the church in North America has. And when I say this, I'm not trying to, to put down the church, and I'm not trying to put down other churches or our church or any other church, but I think we share a lot of the same problems. And the reason that we do is because we, we have this human nature. You know, We have this human nature that we sometimes wrestle with, and the Bible calls it the flesh, and, uh, and so when you look at 1 Corinthians, one of the things that you're going to see as you read through the book of 1 Corinthians is you're going to see that, that the church in Corinth was very, very, what, what some people call carnal or fleshly. In fact, Paul says to the, the Corinthians, he said, he said, brothers, when I came to you, I did not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, people who are carnal, meaning that they had their minds their hearts fixed on fleshly desires more than things that were spiritual. In, in, in the problem that the church in Corinth had was it was a very, very immature church. Now, some Christians are immature because they're brand new baby Christians. And we should expect that. But sometimes, sometimes, Christians can be very, very immature even after they've been Christians for a very, very long time. It's kind of like the guy who's 40 years old and still living in his parents' basement, uh, playing video games and, uh, and, and just kind of uh, wasting his life smoking a joint on the couch when he should have matured past all of that. You understand what I'm saying? His life isn't going anywhere. And there are some people as Christians who are like that. They just never grow up. They never mature. And that was a lot of the problem in Corinth, and in some measure, it is true in, in much of the church in North America. Uh, they never progressed beyond being able to just uh, to feed off the milk of the word. They wanted milk. They didn't want solid food. They didn't want the meat. Now, see, I don't understand that. Because when I go to a restaurant, I don't want a big glass of milk. I might if I'm having chocolate cake. But when I go to a nice restaurant, what I want is I want a big, thick, juicy steak. And some people, they just never get to the point where they know how to really appreciate the steak of God's word. And that was kind of what was happening in Corinth, in some measure, has happened in the church in North America. Uh, The church in Corinth was a divided church. Is the church in our world today divided? Absolutely. Last week we talked about this. There are 33,800 different Christian denominations. Jesus prayed for our unity, but we specialized in, well, I don't know, being unique and different from everybody else, I guess. But, uh, but they were a divided church. They, were, uh, they had some very unhealthy, defective uh, understandings of the church, some very unhealthy, defective uh, understandings of spiritual leadership, um, and uh, they didn't... Um, they really did not value, did not respect the apostolic teaching of Paul or his apostolic authority. And so they they were a church that had a lot of problems. They had a lot of problems. Now, uh, let me me just kind of, I, I feel like I'm kind of going all around here, but let me make a couple of comments just from life and tie it to the church. Uh, I'm married, love my wife, Uh, could not imagine not being married to Joy. I mean, uh, I'm married to my best friend. I love that I get to see her every day. I love that I get to wake up to her every morning. Uh, I love that we get to take our Fridays off and, and drive the back way over to Napa and be together. And as wonderful as my wife is and as much as I enjoy being married, sometimes marriage can be a little bit challenging, okay? Sometimes it can be challenging. And the reason for that is because all of us have a capacity for selfishness. All of us have a capacity for sin. Uh, in a family, I love my family. I love it when we're all together. I love it when my kids are all here at home and when we get to sit around a table and enjoy a meal together and laugh and, and just be together. Just being together is something that I, it is a high point for me every time that happens. But sometimes, being a family can be challenging. It can be difficult. And the reason for that is because all of us have this capacity for selfishness. The same thing is true in a church. In many respects, the church is like a spiritual family. And there are a lot of wonderful things that can happen when we learn how to really be the church together. I'm not talking about just going to church on Sunday mornings. I'm talking about learning how to be the church learning how to be a spiritual family. But sometimes being the church can be difficult. Why? Because sometimes we struggle with selfishness. Sometimes we struggle uh, with that. Um, Today what we're going to be looking at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and what we're going to talk about is we're going to look at a little bit about spiritual leadership, and we're going to look at a little bit about, about membership. In the church. And we're going to talk about why sometimes this is hard, but something about what God is really wanting for us in the church. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm reading from the ESV uh, ESV Bible. Uh, So uh, if you have a Bible, please open up to that. Uh, I'm going to have it up here on the screen. I'm going to read from this because it's a little easier for me to read right here. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the scripture says this. Uh, Paul is, is writing to the Corinthians. He's just been talking to them in chapter 3. He's talking about the nature of the church, and he's been talking about some of their division. The, some of them were divided, and some of them were saying, hey, I'm of the party of Paul. And some were saying, I'm of the party of Apollos. Apollos was a spiritual leader in the church in Corinth for a while after Paul had been there. Some were saying, I'm of the party of Cephas or Peter. And then others were saying, I'm of the party of Jesus. Uh, But what was really going on here is there was a lot of selfishness, a lot of self-centeredness, a lot of cliques, and they lacked the kind of of unity and spiritual health that God wanted for them. And so what Paul is doing is he wants to talk to them about how they should look at people like Paul, like Apollos, like Peter, like other spiritual leaders. And Paul says this. He says, this is how... One should regard us, people like me, Paul. People like Apollos. People who are spiritual leaders in the church. This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ. Servants of Christ. Stewards of the mysteries of God. The Bible. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they should be faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing. It's very unimportant. Uh, For me, um, it's a, a, a small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Okay? I'm not looking for your applause. I'm not looking for your approval. All right? Why? Because I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a servant of Christ. He says, uh, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I can't even trust my own thoughts about myself. Uh, But I am not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who, the Lord, will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness... And he will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his, his commendation from God. And Paul goes on to say, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Now, what's he saying here? Not to go beyond what is written. That basically he's saying that you may not act in an inappropriate way that none of you may be puffed up or proud or arrogant in favor of one spiritual leader against another spiritual leader. For who sees anything different than you? Or I, I like the way the New American Standard uh, translates this. It says, who regards you as superior? And the answer to that would be no one. Who regards you as being superior? No one. If then, um, what, did you, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer to that would be nothing. Okay? Nothing. Uh, if then you did not receive, basically everything I have, everything you have, we have from God. And so because everything we have comes from God, that means I have nothing to boast about in front of you, before you. And because everything you have is from God, you have nothing to boast about before me. So we should give up a way of boasting. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already, (laughs) verse 8, real quick here, excuse me. Yeah, verse 8. Verses 8 through 10 are... A sarcastic rant. Last week, I asked two questions at the beginning of the service. You remember this? I asked you two questions. I asked you, when is it okay for a church to be really, really irritated with their pastor? Okay? And then I asked you, when is it okay for a pastor to be really irritated with his church? Now, I want us to think about this for a moment. Can you be irritated with a person and really love them? Yeah. I mean, anybody who has ever been married, anybody who's ever had children, anybody who's ever had parents, <laughs> knows what it feels like to love a person, be in relationship with them, but also feel really irritated in the moment. Okay? Is that all right? And somehow, we need to get really comfortable with the idea of loving each other while also sometimes struggling with irritation with one another. Is that okay? Uh, that doesn't mean we have to stay irritated. It just means that when I'm irritated, it's kind of like if I, hear, uh, if I hear a smoke alarm go off in our building, I don't want to just turn off the smoke alarm, do I? No, I want to check out why is the smoke alarm on. And that's what irritation is. Irritation is saying there's something wrong here and we need to talk about it. But a lot of us are allergic to talk. Okay? Uh, Paul says, in here we see this irritation in Paul. We see this, I'm going to call it, a spirit-inspired sarcastic rant. Because my sarcastic rants aren't always spirit-inspired. Sometimes they're driven by my flesh. So Paul says this. He says, he says to the, the Corinthians, he says, already you have all you want. You don't need anything. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. Do you hear the sarcasm in these words? He's being very sarcastic about them. The church in Corinth is a very immature church. Uh, He says, uh, and and I would that you did reign. I really wish that you were kings, because if we we were reigning in this world right now, it would mean that Jesus has returned. He's made all things right. We'd be reigning with you. He says... um, Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as, last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. Okay, let's pause right there for a moment. That verse is a little bit strange. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles... Of last of all, like men us to death because we become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. In the ancient Roman world, the Greco Roman world, when someone was a condemned prisoner, oftentimes they would be paraded through the city and then they would be taken to the amphitheater. Uh, the, the, the Colosseum in Rome was built after the time of Jesus, after the time of Paul. But it's a really good example. What did they do in the Colosseum? They had gladiatorial events, uh, and then they also sometimes fed Christians to wild animals and other people as well. It was where they would put people on a show, and they would entertain the masses by watching people die. And that's what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is he says, uh, he, says he talks about the, the apostles. He says, I think that God has exhibited us, apostles, as last of all, like men sent us to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. They're like condemned prisoners going to their deaths. We are fools for Christ's sake, Paul says, but you are wise in Christ. You hear the sarcasm? He's saying we, us apostles, we're fools. You're wise. Uh, We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things, Paul says, to make you ashamed. It's like he's pausing in his rant. And he was speaking from the heart. And he really wants the Corinthians to see and hear his heart in the sarcasm. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. I'm not trying to shame you. That's not why I'm bringing this up. I I don't want you to live your life ashamed. That's not what I want for you. I, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, to exhort you, to challenge you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, people like Apollos and others, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What's he mean by that? Paul was the one, First Corinthians chapter 18, who went to Corinth for the first time and started the church in Corinth. It's not that different from, you know, 26 years ago in October. Joy and I moved to Fairfield. Uh... Just the two of us, and we started a church with two people. Uh, and 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 half that church was a great church. My wife, okay, um, but we started this. And there's a sense in which when you're starting something, you're kind of like the spiritual father there. When you lead someone to Christ, there's kind of like you're like a spiritual father to that person. And and that's what Paul was saying is that he's saying that 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 I I don't write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have uh, countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, and as any good father would, as a good father would want his kids to follow his example, he's saying, I urge you then be imitators of me. And what Paul is saying by that is he's saying, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Please don't imitate me when I'm not imitating Jesus, okay? but in the good moments, all right? And he's saying, uh, be imitators, uh, be imitators of me. That's why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. And then Paul addresses the big issue, what's going on. He, He addresses the elephant in the room. Sometimes we like to skirt around the elephant in the room. Paul doesn't do that. Paul's very direct. And what Paul says um, is, is he says, uh, I will come to you soon, if the Lord's will. Excuse me, verse 18. Some are arrogant. This is the problem in the church in Corinth. Some are arrogant. Paul is saying there are some people here who are arrogant. Some are arrogant. They're proud. They think somehow they're a little bit better than others. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Verse 21, so what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? I'm going to make a side note, and then I'm going to look at some things about spiritual leadership. There is a time, and there is a kind of sin that can happen in a church where we can't ignore it any longer. Okay? There is a time, and there is a kind of sin in the church where we cannot ignore it any longer. We cannot just be polite with each other, but we have to address the sin. Uh, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says this. He says, if your brother sins against you, go to your brother. Talk to him about it. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. There's a time where a person sins, and we've got to go to them, and we've got to talk to them. But Peter, acknowledge, or excuse me, Jesus acknowledges that sometimes... Life doesn't always go the way we want it to. We go to the person about the issue, they ignore it. Or they say, I didn't do anything wrong. Or sometimes we think they've done something wrong. In reality, it's less about them and more about us. We're looking at them through a lens of unhealthiness, and so we've defined their actions as wrong, when in reality, they haven't done anything wrong at all. It's me and my perception because I'm looking at them through a lens of unhealthiness. Does this happen to us? All the time. So what Jesus says, you go to the person. If they listen, you wonder, brother. If they don't listen, you go with one or two others. Why do you go with one or two others? Because Sometimes one or two others tell you, you know, Gary, I really don't think this is Matt's problem. I think it's your problem. And we need to be humble enough to listen to that. Or they may say, you know what? Matt, we really think that there's something going on here, and we really need, you know, we, 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 you know, we love you, bro, and we want you to do well. And, and so sometimes you have to have that third person involved. And that's what Jesus says. If your brother sins, go to him. If he listens, you've won your brother. If not, take one or two other others with you that everything may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. In this case, Jesus says, but if that person does not listen then you bring it before the church. Now, we talked about this text just a few weeks ago. And I think what I told you is we're not going to have an open mic day where you come up and say, I'd like to bring something before the church today. You know? And then we, we set about to uh, bash this person and create a culture of shame. That's not what Jesus is doing. That's not what he's talking about. But he says, you bring them before the church, and if they will not listen to the church, then you treat them as a tax collector and sinner. What is Jesus doing in that text? And what is, does, does this look like in a healthy church? And what it looks like is, is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're not going to talk about it next week, even though we're talking about chapter 4 this week. Because chapter 5, uh, next week is Family Worship Sunday. And some of what's talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 like incest. We don't want to talk about with preschoolers here, okay? We'll save that for another time. Is that okay? Uh, but, but Paul had to address it. Paul had to address that in the church in Corinth. There's a time in a church where sin is like gangrene. It's like gangrene. It, it, let me put it this way. Many years ago, I was playing softball uh, with a bunch of guys. We were up in uh, Sonora, up at uh, Silver Spur. I was playing center field, and a guy hit a ball deep to, to left center. And so I was sprinting across the field, and my eyes, I was completely dialed in, completely focused on the ball. And, and in that moment, and, you know, at the beginning of the game, I had kind of looked around. I saw where all the hazards were. We were playing on the soccer field. And I, I looked at all the hazards, and this is what I thought at the beginning of the game. Somebody's going to get hurt here today. Somebody's going to get here, hurt here today. But I knew it wouldn't be me because I never get hurt. Never get hurt. But I thought in my mind, today somebody's going to get hurt. I was running as hard and fast as I could. And I hit a soccer goal with rods that were sunk down about three feet into the ground. And I hit it steel rod running full speed. Um, I did not relax a step. The ball was in my glove when I hit that steel pole. I hit that steel pole, hit it first with my wrist, then with my head. I was bleeding from the ear, my wrist was shattered. I caught the ball. A buddy of mine... Yeah, right. Thanks, Mike. Uh, a buddy of mine was over at the horseshoe pits, which were... I don't know how far away they are. If you've ever been to Silver Spur, you know where the soccer field is. You know where the horseshoe pits are. A buddy of mine was in the, the horseshoe pit. He heard the sound of me hitting the bar from the horseshoe pit. I hit it. I hit it that... Huh? Yeah, right. So, a couple of surgeries. Anyway, uh, the thing is, is when you break a bone, do you amputate the arm? No. No. By the way, Galatians chapter 6, if a brother is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore him. By the way, you know what the word restore is in Galatians 6.1? Set the bone. The word restore in Galatians 6.1 literally means set the bone. Restore the person who is caught in the sin with the spirit of gentleness. Not creating a culture of shame. Restore that person with the spirit of gentleness, lest you too be tempted. So what are we supposed to make of this where we put a person out of the church? Imagine now not so much a shattered bone, but imagine an arm that's infected with gangrene. Okay? It's infected. It's infected with gangrene. And it will... I'm not simply going to lose my arm. It's going to kill me. It's going to kill me. If it's not removed, it's going to kill me. There are times, times, when there is a kind of sin in a church that's like gangrene. There is a kind of arrogance... There's a kind of arrogance, a kind of pride, because that's what Paul's talking about here. There's a kind of arrogance, a kind of pride, a kind of divisiveness that will kill a church. And that's what Paul is talking about. When Paul says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? There comes a point in time where something is so destructive the person who's sinning against the church has to be put out. Do you understand what I'm saying here? But that is not the first thing you do. Like, if, if two people are married and they have a, I don't know, I make a comment about my wife's French toast. She hasn't made any since then. <laughs> uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't a reason for us to terminate our marriage. It was a reason for me to say, I'm very sorry. But it wasn't a reason for us to terminate our marriage. That, that, that when you think about divorce in our culture, we're kind of a, a you know, we, we, we embrace divorce, I think, sometimes a little bit too quickly. But divorce should be the very last thing two people do, not the first thing. And putting a person out of the church should be the very last thing we do, not the first. Are you with me here? We're not talking about creating a culture of shame, but we're talking about creating a culture of health. Um. So what does this text teach us about spiritual leadership? Not about, I don't know, not about church discipline. We'll get to that. What does this uh, text teach us about about spiritual leadership? And I'll try to go through this quickly. Number one, spiritual leaders are servants of Christ. We're servants of Christ. The, The Bible says this is how one should regard us. How? As servants of Christ. Do you get that? Servants of who? Yeah, Christ. So if I'm a servant of Christ, then who am I trying to please? Am I trying to please you? or Am I trying to please Christ? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to please Christ. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. And and you get down to verse three, you know, what this means is that spiritual leaders cannot afford to be overly concerned about what others think about us. I have, I've been pastoring this church for over 25 years now. Thank you, guys. Thank you for how you recognized us and encouraged us a couple of weeks ago, what, what you did for us, what you did for the Skinners. We are really appreciative of that. Thank you so much. But ultimately, uh, I can't afford to spend my life trying to please you or anybody else. In verse 3, uh, that's why Paul writes, As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. Okay? That what I I don't I can't afford to set my life on trying to please you or other people. If you think that Matt's a better preacher than I am, I can't afford to let that to obsess about that. If you think he's a better counselor than I am, a better worship leader, okay, well I'll, I'll give you that one. That that's easy, all right. Of course, Matt's better at a lot of things than I am, and I'm better at some things than Matt is. But that isn't a reason. For us to divide over, we're of the Matt Party, we're of the Gary Party, we're of the Craig Rochelle Party, we're of the, I don't know, uh, the Andy Stanley Party. We are of, you know, we are the, what are some different worship labels today? Yeah, Chris Tomlin, you know, yeah, we're, we're Matt Redman, we're the Matt Redman group, we're the Chris Tomlin group, we're the whatever you want to call it, the hip and cool group. Um, that That... That spiritual leaders are servants of Christ and we need to aim to please Christ and not be so concerned as to whether or not we're pleasing other people. Number two, spiritual leaders are stewards of the mysteries of God's word. Uh, Again, verse one, Paul says, this is how one should regard us as as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. That, That I have a stewardship given to me. To preach this, this book. To preach what's found in this book. Not to preach my best ideas about this book, but to preach what this book teaches us. That is my responsibility. I am a steward. And as a steward, I must be found, what does the Bible tell us? I must be found um, faithful. Yeah. I must be found faithful. Uh, number three. And I don't know why I'm not seeing. uh, Oh, because my notes are messed up. Number three, uh, spiritual leaders must confront and correct those who are proud and divisive. We have to do that. That when when the arrogance, uh, the pride, the divisiveness divisiveness of people, divisiveness, I can say that, Uh, divisiveness of people, uh, it, when it threatens the church, we have to address it. We do. That's what spiritual leaders have to do. By the way, that means Steve, John, uh, Eric, Matt. Uh, I'm, I'm calling these guys out because we're talking about our elders and our pastoral staff. This doesn't, please, don't ever think that this is Gary's job and Gary's alone. It's not. Why? Because if it's my job and mine alone, there's a good chance I'm going to get it wrong. But if it's our job, and it's got to be our job, is we have to uh, address arrogance and divisiveness when it becomes destructive for our church. It has to be done by our spiritual leadership. Number, uh, Number four. Number four about uh, spiritual leadership. What does this text teach us about spiritual leadership? Spiritual leaders must be an example for the people of their church. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. What the church needs from our uh, our leadership is it needs an, an example. It needs an example of seeking and pursuing Jesus above all things. It needs an example. It needs an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus, to become more like Jesus in our thinking, to become more like Jesus in our affections. What our church needs from us is it needs us to be an example of becoming more like Jesus in our attitudes, becoming more like Jesus in our actions. That's what we've got to do. That's what the church needs from spiritual leadership. That's what we see taught in the scriptures. So what does this text teach us about membership? So we've talked a little bit about what we're supposed to be doing as leaders. What about the church as a whole? What does this text teach us about membership, the rest of the body of Christ? Uh, Four things here. Number one, be careful of judging spiritual leaders in a superficial way. So what 1 Corinthians 4 is not telling us, it's not saying you should never use good judgment when when addressing a spiritual leader. Sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Sometimes it's okay to say, you know, Gary, it really hurt my feelings when. It's okay to do that. It's okay to do that. You're not being judgmental. But what the Bible is telling us is that we need to be careful of judging spiritual leaders in a superficial way. Such as, Gary, when you're going to goatee, you look like Satan. <laughs> Jed's really laughing at this one. You know that really happened to me, don't you? Yeah, I did. Uh, there was a member of our church family. I love her. I miss her so much. She's with Jesus, and now she knows I don't look like Satan, even when I have a goatee. All right? <laughs> but sometimes what, what can happen is, is we can judge people in very, very superficial ways. All right? I love Faye. I'm sorry, faith. Uh Forgive me. All right? Uh, But be careful of judging spiritual leaders in a superficial way. Uh, Secondly, be careful of comparing one spiritual leader against another. One day, Solana Valley Church will have a new lead pastor. And he's going to be different from me. He's going to teach differently. He's going to lead differently. Praise God for that. But please, never, never compare him to me. By the way. I hope and pray that I can still be here, and still bring value to our church, even though someone else might be our pastor. But please never judge me in comparison to him. Let's 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 not let's be careful of comparing one spiritual leader against another. Number three, honor and respect people in spiritual leadership, folks. You honored us. You honored Matt and Carolyn. I don't know how many of you know this, but. But you honored Joy and I. You gave us some new shirts. Thank you. Thank you. I love my new shirts. You gave us some new hats. I love my new hat. My new hats. Uh, and and But you also gave both of us a, a bonus, okay, a cash bonus uh, for 25 years of service. And I want to tell you thank you for that. And, and let me tell you what that bonus is making possible. Can I do this real quick? Because you honored me. I want to honor you. How many of you all have been in my home? How many of you have seen the love seat where I sit and pray and read my Bible? If if some of you, you're not raising your hands. Either you're being polite and ignoring it, or maybe you just don't notice it. The love seat in front of our front window in our living room has been a place where I have sat and prayed and read my Bible for years. And uh, that love seat, both arms are torn. They are. They're torn. And... Uh, it's that imitation leather, and so pieces of it are kind of scaling up off where I've been sitting for so long. And, uh, and uh, maybe that means I should get off my rear. No, uh, maybe I sh- I'm just going to go to another spot and have my quiet time. But, but we've needed to replace that for a long time. We just haven't had the, the ability to do that. But because of your kindness and your generosity and the way you've honored us, we're going to be able to replace those. We're just waiting. Thank you. We're just waiting for the right cell to come along, all right? Okay. Um, so be careful of judging spiritual leaders in a superficial way. Be careful of comparing one spiritual leader against another. Honor and respect people in spiritual leadership. And finally, watch yourself. Watch yourself so that you don't become proud and unteachable. Let's take a moment. Let's pray, okay? God, today what we want is we want to be healthy and holy in the way we follow you. We want healthy, holy, spiritual leadership, and, uh, and God, uh, for those of us who are in spiritual leadership, whether it's Kimberly leading our children's ministries, Jen leading us in our fall festival, whether that's Barbara and Joanne leading our care ministry, uh, Justin Brown leading our, our security teams, all of us, God, who are in leadership, please help us to lead in a way that's honor and glorifying of you. Help us, God, to to be an example of what it looks like uh, to follow you and to live your mission together. And God, help us to love our church uh, like a father loves his children. And I pray these things in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.